So I was curious, after watching that video, what is the dream marriage? So I went to the ultimate source, Google, and I Googled dream marriage. First three hits said dream singles. According to the description by Google, I did not click on any of the links. It is an international dating website. Who knew? So I quickly went back up to the Google search and changed my search a little bit. Define dream marriage. That was a little bit more helpful. I found a blog by Jackie Bledsoe of 50 words that describe the ideal marriage. And I won't go through all 50 of them, but I will point out just a few of them. Compromise. Humor-filled. Christ-centered. Respectful. Safe. Godly, great sex, patient, silly, communication, honest, fun. And there are a lot more on there. I encourage you to go on there and, and read the, the full blog post if you would like. But those are just a few of them. We all can't be great at all of those. So hopefully God has brought you or will bring you into a marriage with somebody whose strengths will cover your weaknesses. But often that's, often that's also the source of a lot of challenges, isn't it? Different ways of thinking, different um, strengths, different weaknesses, different priorities maybe even sometimes, different abilities, different talents different ways of seeing things. A journalist said years ago, marriage is somewhat like undertaking a Lego project without instructions. I don't know if you've kept up with Legos over the years, but they're not just the blocks anymore. They're very complicated. And you absolutely have to have the instructions. And goodness, please don't lose one or combine two because you'll never figure it out after that. It's complicated. I know marriage is complicated. I'm not even married yet. Last week we started this series, Relationship Reset, and we're, we're asking God to reset different areas of our lives. And last week I emphasized that as we talked about parenting, I'm not a parent, so I'm not giving advice. I'm strictly looking at God's Word and what God's Word says about these things. I feel a little bit more qualified this week to talk on marriage, not because I'm single, because that just doesn't make sense, right? Because I'm planning to be married. Because I'm doing my homework, I'm doing my research, I've been reading a lot. And I know that my experience when I get married will change. I'll understand these things on a new level, at a new depth. But what I see happening more times than not is, oh, this has been my experience, and God, you can't mean this, so maybe I'm going to just shift it a little bit. And one shift maybe leads to another shift, which then leads to another shift. And before long, we've forgotten what God's word has actually said about marriage. With all due respect, I don't care what the world has to say about marriage, what experience has to say about marriage, what, what anyone else has to say about it. I don't care what God's word says. And often I think we could use a reset on our marriage. And it's uncomfortable. 
But sometimes we need to reset and refocus on what God's word has to say about marriage. Because I truly believe that this is the best way to have a marriage. That to, to, to focus on God and to do these, this his way is by far the best way to have a joy-filled marriage. There's going to be some low lows. But following God's plan for this will make even the most Scrooge-like person rejoice and dance and laugh. It's going to be awesome. I am really, really looking forward to that. Before diving in, I just want to set a framework for what I talk about, what I mean when I say marriage. This framework for understanding biblical marriage. We unapologetically here at MCC believe that God designed marriage between a man and a woman. We unapologetically believe that God intended for us to save living together and sex for marriage and marriage alone. We unapologetically believe that God binds a man and a woman together in a unique and beautiful way through marriage, never to be separated. And we also fundamentally, foundationally, and unapologetically believe that God still deeply, deeply loves you if you have ever gone against any of these three ways. This week we're talking about marriage. We feel like it's important to set this foundation for a biblical and strong marriage first. Come back next week because we're going to talk about some of those others. We live in a, in a sinful and broken world. Just like that song was talking about. We understand that it doesn't always work out the way God intends it. But that doesn't change how he feels about you. That he is still deeply and madly in love with you. Today we're going to focus on marriage. I want to make sure that our basis and our framework, our foundation, is firm on marriage. I think that if we look throughout all of Scripture, marriage comes down to this one verse we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's it. When we talk about marriage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And after this is where Paul goes in on to wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We get into that. But it starts with this foundation of submit to each other, not because of a vow you made, not because of a commitment you made, out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. This, this word submit in our, in our culture today has often a very negative connotation with it, right? We hear the word submit and we're like, ugh, makes us feel uncomfortable. We just don't like it. But notice what 1 Corinthians says. That includes this, this same word. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For he, God, has put everything under uh, his, Jesus' feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now what I find interesting, this, this word subject here in that last line, it's that same word submit. You look up in the Greek, we translate it a little different to fit better into this context, but it's the exact same word. Christ submits to his Father in heaven. 
Does that make Christ any less God? No. Submit is not a, a lesser than whatever it is you're submitting to. It doesn't have that. We've attached that connotation to it, but it doesn't mean that. Not in the biblical sense. And this is what we're looking at today. The biblical word here of submit doesn't mean less than. But I think it does imply these three aspects that I want to focus on today. Especially as we look at a, in a biblical framework for understanding marriage, submit includes these three things. And the first one I'm talking about is humility. To submit to your spouse means you have to first and foremost be humble. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 4, says, Don't look out for your own interests, but take the interest of others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to, be, to cling to. Instead, he gave him up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave when he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. There is no greater example of humility than Christ Jesus. He came, he humbled himself. That's what God, his Father in heaven, asked him to do. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not, oh, woe is me. I'm not as good as this other person. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting the interest of your spouse before yours. Their needs, their wants. I heard someone say this week, humility is allowing others to shine, affirming others, empowering and enabling others. It is being secure enough that you actually want others to succeed, shine, and achieve great things. It doesn't diminish who you are to elevate your spouse. It doesn't make you less to put their interests and their wants and their desires ahead of your own. You're elevated together. When they succeed, you succeed. When they achieve something, you achieve it together. Humility is putting their wants, their needs ahead of your own. And it's impossible to do this without, number two, serving them, serving your spouse. And this was at the heart of Jesus' coming. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Greatest example we have of this, I love the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Right before Passover, all the disciples came together to celebrate and remember what God did for Israel years, years ago, bringing them up out of Egypt as slaves into the promised land. And they gathered together as was tradition. And they found a place to do this. And then it would have been customary for the owner of this house to provide a servant to clean his guests' feet. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. So right before they eat the meal, Jesus gets up wraps a towel around his waist, fills a basin with water, and he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah, Lord, Savior, humbles himself and serves his disciples, serves those who are, quote, under him, 
That's what he came to do. And I love the way, the way he put it. John 13. Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now we'll say it'd be a little strange if you walked around everywhere you went with like a basin and water, and you're like, hey, can I wash your feet? In the middle of Walmart, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a little strange. But it's not the washing of his feet that's symbolic and important for us to mimic exactly as he did it. It's his attitude. It's his servant's heart. It's the way he served. In this extreme way, taking the position of a servant and serving others and washing their feet. It's what we're supposed to do for our spouse. To serve them at all costs. Whatever it is. When I was in grad school, I had several professors mention over and over again, your first ministry is to your family. And he was speaking to a room full of those who hope to be in vocational ministry one day. And it's easy to get distracted, working at the church, serving others. It's easy to put in a lot of hours here and forget about your family at home. And I've heard a lot of stories of pastors who have done that over the years. And he emphasized, they emphasized over and over, your first ministry is to your family. Same is true for you, though. We can get so busy serving here at church, serving our friends, volunteering with nonprofits, doing even good things that we neglect our family at home. More specifically, your spouse. Guys, your first ministry is to your spouse. Your first ministry is to your spouse. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Men, women, serve your spouse. Be there for them. If you want to make sure you set your kids up for success, love your spouse well. Serve your spouse well. Humble yourself before your spouse and submit to your spouse well. The third aspect of this that I want to focus on this morning is to be fully known by your spouse. And I know this might seem a little odd for this idea of, of submitting to one another, but especially within this marriage relationship, being fully known is absolutely critical. Jesus speaks to how he and the Father are one, fully known one to the other. They are the same. There's a bond unlike anything else when we get married. The unity that is there is so incredible. That means allowing yourself to be fully known and fully knowing your spouse. Tim Keller is a pastor and author, and he wrote this book, The Meaning of Marriage. And in it he says, To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. 
It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be fully known and truly loved, it's incredible. And I know that is a deep, deep deep-seated fear in many people. What if I share this aspect about myself and they laugh at me? They make, they make fun of me. Maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they just think it's weird. Maybe a, a glance they even have, just they, they, they think it's strange. This goes back to us being kids on a playground, right? I want to be part of this group, so I can't actually tell them what I like or what I enjoy or what anything, because they'll, they'll know me, and maybe they think that's weird. And then we won't be part of the group. We won't be part of their clique, their fun group over here. That's what marriage is for. To be fully known. And the other person look us right back in the eye and say, that's awesome. I love you. All the more. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin, an addiction. Maybe that's awesome. It's not the response that, that we're going for with that. But to have your spouse look back and say, I love you. Let's work on this together. To be fully known and truly loved. It's what we all want. It's what we all need from a marriage. Hannah and I have been going through premarital counseling, and she loves it as many times as we've been together now, and I ask her all the time, hey, can I use you as a sermon illustration? She absolutely loves it. Um, (laughs) We've been going through premarital counseling, and after the first, toward the end of the first visit, the, the counselor said, I want you to bring back next week something that frustrates you about the other person. Just for the record, never try to find something that frustrates you about your spouse, okay? Just, just don't, don't do it. So we go into the next session, I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be great. Um, and by great, I mean not at all. Um, <laughs> I have no clue what she's going to bring up. How is she going to respond to what I have to say? What is this going to be like? We don't want to get into a yelling match in the counselor's office, do we? I mean, like, this is... Oh my goodness. I was stressed out, to say the least. And then we sit down, and she asks how things had been the last little bit. She says, then you had, you had some homework, didn't you? Who wants to start? Figured I'm the man. I better man up and actually do it first. She hands me a paper. She hands Hannah the paper. She says, this is a step-by-step process. I was supposed to express this thing first without really reacting or asking too many questions. There was a blind response. You ask this. Look for these words. You say this. And it was somewhat awkward, but very beneficial. Toward the end, one of the later questions were that she asked me, can you recall a time growing up that you felt this way. Looking back into my childhood, revealing something that was an insecurity growing up, mm, 
that's tough. But I told her. It was amazing. We went out to eat after that and debriefed a little bit further. We both looked at each other and just said, I, I want to marry you more now more than ever. And it was awkward, it was rough. But that feeling afterward of being known and still deeply and truly loved. It's a peace like none other. It's a reassurance like no other. And that's what we're to have in marriage. And it's awkward, sure, and, and bringing this stuff up can be awkward at times. But if I could be frank for just a moment, some of you need to sit down with your wives, with your husbands, and you need to say, honey, I think we need to hit the reset button. I think we've gotten distracted by this world. I think we've got complacent over the years. I think we're coasting along, and we just need to hit reset and refocus. Make sure that God is the center and the priority of this relationship. We need to make sure that we're doing the best for our kids. And I know I said I wouldn't give too much marriage advice because I haven't been there, but I firmly believe if you want to love your kids well, you will love your spouse better. You will make them the priority and not your kids. And they will grow up thanking you for that. Maybe you need to go away for a weekend. Maybe you need to read a book together. Maybe you need to find a hobby that doesn't take a whole lot of time, but something that you can do together. You just need to hit reset. You need a do-over. You need to start again. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's an awkward conversation for sure, but it's absolutely okay. Have you ever called tech support for your computer? Something messes up. What's the first thing they ask? Have you restarted your computer? Fix, fixes 50% of all your problems. Just, just restart your computer. Your computer needs a break. It needs to reset. Marriages are the same way. They are far more complicated than computers. And sometimes we just need a reset. Maybe you need a reset. To commit today, this week sometime, to sit down with your spouse and be like, Honey, I'm so sorry. I'm pressing reset and I commit to submit myself to you. To be humble, to serve you better, to allow myself to be fully known, and to know you fully. It's not a bad thing. It's tough, it's difficult, but it's what we have to do. It's what Jesus did submitted to his father, was fully known, served, he humbled himself. This is the example Christ gave for us. The ultimate expression of this on that cross. Do you remember what he was like in the garden? Jesus begged God, if there is another way, please, please let it happen. He was sweating blood. He was in such agony over what was about to happen. He said, God, please, if there is another way, but 
not my will, but yours be done. He humbled himself before God. He served God and us by going to that cross. This is what submission looks like. It's not weakness, it's Christ-likeness. It's being like Christ to submit ourselves before our wives, before our husbands, to love them well, to humble ourselves, to serve them, to be fully known and know them fully. In just a few minutes, they're going to come down and we're going to partake of communion. And we've saved it till after the message this week because when we talk about submission, Christ's example on the cross is exactly what we're talking about. We do this every week, but sometimes it's lost on us how much he gave up, what his attitude was like before he went to the cross. He submitted himself before the Father in a way deepest and true way possible. And that's what we remember during this time. Father God, we thank you so much for the way you have loved us. For the way you have loved us so well. For the way that you have submitted to your, your Father in heaven to go to the cross to die, to restore relationship with us. Father, as we pause during this moment to remember your sacrifice, I pray you help us to reflect on how much you love us, how much you've served us, how much you've given up for us. Touch our hearts, and if we need to reset our relationship with you, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship. God, I pray that you just let us know in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.